So Colossians chapter 1, um, if you don't have a Bible, there are some on the back we'd like to offer to you for use today, or we'd like to offer them for you to take home with you. Um, I couldn't be more excited about what I'm about to get to teach this morning. Um, it, is, it is really profound stuff, and it is the gospel, and it's an, a great opportunity for us to, to gather here this morning. Um, let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get started with our work this morning. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this rain that's so needed. Uh, Lord, I, I pray now that you would center our minds around your son, Jesus Christ. God, we've spoken... And we've had a vision for this series and what we're going to do, Father, to be centered around your son, Jesus, God. But now I pray that you would give us a supernatural measure of, of focus, God, that we would just center our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our spirits around your son, Jesus, God. And God, just make that happen. Allow that to happen in us, God. Free us from distraction, as we center around your son, in Christ's name, amen. Uh, so if you, uh, if you weren't here last week, the, we started this series centered on Christ, centered on Jesus. And the idea is that all of the book of Colossians is teaching the people of Colossae, a city, uh, to center their lives and their hearts around Jesus. There was a, the, sort of the background again is that Paul was pre- preaching in a city called Ephesus, and a guy named Epaphras came to Ephesus, who was, he was from Colossae, and he came to uh, Ephesus and heard Paul preach and was convinced from hearing Paul preach and being around Paul that he needed to go back and start a church in Colossae. And Paul never went to Colossae. Paul never really met the people from Colossae. He might have met the leadership as they came to Ephesus from time to time, uh, but ultimately he never met these people. But it felt like he knew them because he knew their leadership and he was focused on their leadership and, and, and leading and guiding them. So he writes this letter from prison. Uh, he was on house arrest. He writes this letter from prison and gives it to uh, a couple of guys who go back to Colossae and read this in front of the whole church. That's, the, again, the background for this. And I, and I, I want to kind of reiterate because we, we kind of led, did a lot of background work last week, but, but this week we jump off into the actual meat of, of the letter. But I will reiterate that this is a letter that would have been, imagine someone writing a letter and me standing up in front of you reading that to you. That's what happened. That's how, how this was presented to the Colossians the first time. And so this morning, we're going to study the prayer that Paul had for the church in Colossae. And I want you guys, as we look through and, and see the themes of, of Christ being central and, and centered around Christ and all those things, I want you to, to be reminded of the fact that this is a prayer by Paul for the church in Colossae, for people that he really never met. But I want you to sense the passion of the prayer that's in his heart and in his mind, all right? Um, along those lines, this is an opportunity for us as North Church to practice this idea of of never having really met a lot of people at another church, but being influential in, in planting a church and, and starting a church. There's a church that will start called Christ Church St. Louis. Um, it's starting a week from tonight at 6 o'clock. And by the way, I want to invite 
each and every one of you to come and join there. I'm going to be there. Uh, we're trying to, to get some people to go and be there. It's the launch of, of Judd and Scott have started a church. And you guys may have met them at the Christmas party. Um, and you've heard us talk about them a lot. Uh, but they launched their first public services is a week from tonight. Or a week from today. Six o'clock tonight. Uh, so find me afterwards. I'd love to give you more information about when, where. Christchurch STL is their website. Um, take a look at it. And, and we want to be, have a presence there and show them that we support them and we pray for them and we nurture them and we protect them. We want to guide them through this process. We're giving them money we're, and I'm giving them coaching advice as we walk through this process. So it's more than just, hey, some guys and, and people are, and families are starting a church in the Brentwood area. So I uh, want you guys to be aware of that's what's happening. And so this morning, I want to just stop and voice a prayer for them. We did it last week, but I want to do it again this week because ultimately it's us practicing very similar to stuff that what we're reading here in the book of Colossians, all right? Um, so so let's, let's just stop for a second and, and pray for them. Jeff, can I ask you to, to voice that prayer, man? Cool. Uh, just to ask you guys, as you, as you pray this week, maybe set an alarm in your phone uh, to pray for them occasionally this week. Um, pray for Scott, and, or I mean Judd in particular, he's the, the lead pastor. Uh, nerves, uh, anxiety, fear are, are prevalent in the heart and mind of a, a pastor as he plants a church leading up to the launch day. So pray those things uh, for him this week, and then show up next Sunday night at 6 o'clock at their place. Um, so uh, let's, get, let's get into the, the heart of, of the message uh, this morning. Uh, again, look for Christ being central and look for the passion of Paul as he's praying for these people that he's really never met. Um, but the, the passion is still there. The, the prayer kind of breaks down into three things. He prays for three specific things, and there are specific things that result from those prayers. Does that make sense? So if, if this is true, these things are going to be true. So those three things are filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The second one is strengthened with power uh, according to his glorious might. And then the last one is giving thanks. So it's, it's to, be, to be filled with knowledge, to be strengthened with power, and to give thanks for who God is. So let's look at, at this first one here. Um, Paul's prayer for the church in Colossians. First, to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because this will allow you to. If, we are, if you and I are filled with the knowledge and will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, these are the benefits or the, or the side effects of that. So Paul wants us to be aware of Christ. 
Paul wants us to be aware of the will of God. The results of that are these. First, that we would walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Um, we're going to do a lot, of, a lot of Greek words today. And, and, there, and if you have your bulletin, all the Greek words that we'll study this morning are, are in there. One of the, the first Greek word that we'll study is that word worthy here. To be worthy of the calling. That's a Greek word, axios. And it means equal weight. The idea is, you've seen, if you guys have like a, a uh, you've seen the, the justice thing where they've got like uh, weights on either side, right? You know what I'm talking about? That, this is the idea. Axios is that concept. You, imagine you guys have that, that image in your mind of, of equal weight. On this side is your calling. And your calling is be like Jesus. All right? Here's, a, here's an easy question. Is that heavy or light? Is it hard or easy to be like Jesus? Hard. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. That's probably the easiest question you'll get today. Um, so this side is to be like Christ. That's our calling. That's who we are. That's what God has called us to. On this side is to walk in a manner worthy or walk in a manner axios, walk in a manner of equal weight to that. Right? No one in this room, no one who's ever walked besides Christ himself, is able to do that. That's why we need external forces to be in play. We need Christ's righteousness to be a part of us. And not just, like, we, we preach that our righteousness is Christ's righteousness, and, and we never leave that, and that can never be taken from us. We have a, a firm foundation in Christ but that's different from the way we walk, the way we live, the way we behave, what we do with our lives. That's what this is talking about. We're not talking about the imputed righteousness that because we believe in Christ, we are righteous completely. We're talking about the way that we live and act in, in the life that we live. All right? And so we fall short of this all the time. I fall short of this all the time. All right? And so sin is prevalent in us. We fail for this axios word, we do not walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so this is the passionate prayer of Paul for these people that he cares deeply about here that they would walk in this manner. And it's not like, here, here's the deal. It's not me standing in front of you saying, this is what I want you to do. Okay? We, we often get confused about prayers saying, this is what I want you to do. Ultimately, this is Paul praying to God on their behalf, that they would do this, that they would walk in a manner worthy of their calling, all right? So it's not something that can be born in you. It's not something you can, you know what, Rick, that's really right. I'm going to go walk in a manner worthy of my calling. You can't do it. You're not going to be able to do it. You need an external force. You need the Spirit of God to dwell and live in you to change who you are. And we're going to get to the very end of this prayer and see Christ died, resurrected, and giving you all of these things transferring you from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved. And, and we'll talk about what that means. But that's going to, the beauty of who Christ is and what he has done is the thing that explodes within us and shows us how to go and be this thing, walking in a manner worthy of our calling. Again, the point for us to understand, we can't do it. We need external forces to help us to do it. This is Paul's prayer. This is my prayer. This is our prayer for each other, for us, for the churches that we connect with, for Christ Church, for Summit Church, for all the other churches, for Flores and Presbyterian, all these other churches in this area that we want to pray for. This is the prayer that we would walk in this manner worthy of the calling. Uh, 
The next thing, another result of being filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that we walk in a manner worthy, and secondly, that we would bear fruit. Um, Family went to Eckert's a couple of weeks ago and picked apples and peaches. And those apples and peaches are the product of that tree, right? It's an apple tree. It makes apples. It's, an or- it's a peach tree. It makes peaches, all right? And I-, I heard this, this uh, illustration at one point. An apple, everything that's necessary for the apple tree is in the apple. Do you realize that? A single apple has everything that's necessary. The DNA, the, the whatever is, is necessary for an apple tree is in that apple. And everything that's necessary for an apple orchard is present in an apple tree. So, bearing fruit is a result of what's inside of the fruit, what's inside of you. To bear fruit that we have in our lives, everything is present inside of you because of this knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, getting wisdom, getting knowledge, having the Spirit of God in you causes you, allows you to bear fruit fruit. What are fruit? And is it loving your neighbor? Is it witnessing the people? Is it um, loving your spouse well? Is it whatever? It's, it's all of these things. So there, there's two kind of understandings I want to lead our minds to when we think about bearing fruit. One is we are serving people. Ultimately, that's what it gets down to. All those things that I just mentioned, you're serving people. People are more important than you are. That's, what, that's one of the ways that it means to physically, tangibly bear fruit. So I want you to think it for a second. What have I done this week that was initiated from an understanding and a desire that you want to serve someone? You want to place their needs ahead of you. In Scripture, the Greek word for serving is hupatasso, is to place one's needs in front of yourself. You are more important than me. All right? Think back at your week. What have you done? How have you placed someone's needs above your own? How have you served them? This is what it means to bear fruit. If you are connected to the Spirit of God, if you are growing in knowledge and wisdom, these things naturally come out of you. Nobody had to tell that tree in, in Illinois at Eckerd's Orchard to make an apple. It just happened because of what it is. If you are connected to the Spirit because of who you are, this fruit comes out of you. The other idea is this. We Throughout all scripture, there's a couple of different instances where it talks about fruits of the Spirit. And what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All right? These are the things that come out of the one who is connected to the Spirit, who is, has the knowledge of the will and the spiritual understanding and all those things that, that we just talked about. This is an offshoot of being connected, of knowing Jesus. The offshoot the response, result of knowing Jesus and knowing his will is fruit is true of your life. You have love. There's peace in your life. There's patience. There's goodness. There's gentleness. There's self-control. All those things are true of you. And if you want those things, draw near to God. He offers them in abundance. The last thing is the last result Paul mentions of being filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding is sort of redundant. 
If you're filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding, you increase in knowledge of God. It's kind of silly, right? If you know God, then you know God. That's what Paul's praying for them. If you know God, then you know God. And here's... um, We just got through with this series of praying the Psalms, and if you remember and reflect upon that, one of the things Dave and I both said over and over again is the Psalms really teach you to learn to preach to yourself. They're filled with with short two, three, four, five-word phrases that we can remind ourselves of, and and we told you to write them with a dry erase board on your shower or put them on a sticky note on your steering wheel or those sort of things. This is filling yourself with a knowledge of God. Very simple. And... We live in an age of podcasting. You can listen on your way to work. You can listen when you're jogging to someone preaching the gospel. Do that. These are the results of doing that. This is a great age. You find yourself in a great age where there is the, the best preaching in the world is available to you in a five-minute download. Allow it to saturate your brain, and then these things become the result of that. Study scripture. Memorize scripture. Get alone with people. Get alone with yourself. Journal. The spiritual disciplines help you to know and to understand God. And this is the church in Colossae. I, I want to, every once in a while, I'll just kind of back up and get the, the macro picture. We've been talking about the micro picture. Let's look at the, at the big picture from 10,000 feet. Paul, again, speaking to a church that's about seven or eight years old, very similar to us, coming back, and this is his passionate plea, his passionate prayer for those people, that they would be filled with the wisdom and knowledge of God. And they would be actively pursuing understanding knowledge of who God is. And at your fingertips, literally at your fingertips, opportunities for you to know God. Utilize them. I often wonder what, like, my grandfather, one of the most godly men I've ever known, uh, Grandpa Maxidon, awesome man of God. I often wonder if he would be somehow, I, I, you know, like there's a, a theology of, of death and like people looking down on you. I think that's silly and nonsense, but if you think that, I'm, I'm sorry. And like if you think about your long lost grandparents smiling upon you, that ain't happening. It's not going on right now. But if it were, I would be thinking about what my grandpa would be thinking. Man, you've got all of this opportunity to know and seize knowledge of God all around you. What are you doing? I, I, I often think that. And so we have all of these things at our disposal all the time. Utilize them. The second prayer, that, the second part of Paul's prayer is that we may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. According to his glorious might. We will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. According is a really good, strong word. And it's, it's that an apple, make, an apple tree makes apples according to what it is. So Christ has this awesome power. So according to this power, just because of, of who Christ is and that we're connected with Christ, power is ours. His power is ours. And so we would be strengthened with this power. This is Paul's passionate prayer for us. It's my passionate prayer for me and my passionate prayer for North Church is that we would be strengthened with power according to his glorious might. The Greek word for power here is dunamis. Sounds like dynamite. That's where we get our word dynamite comes from dunamis. There is this 
power within us. We think about this idea of being strengthened with dynamite according to his glorious might. So what are the results, he says here in these verses, about being strengthened with power? First, we have endurance. This is, we're going to get into some, some Greek study here. The, the word endurance is, means the characteristic of a man not swerved in his purpose and faith, even in the greatest trials and sufferings. When we're strengthened with power, endurance is the result. And what is endurance? We are not swerved from our intended purpose, no matter the suffering or pain or hardship that surrounds us. And I want you to think about Jesus for a second. And think about the endurance of Christ for a second. Think about Jesus on the cross. He's been, he hasn't slept in two days. He's been nearly beaten to death. He's standing there watching people mock him. Everybody who has spent the last three years loving him and walking with him and supporting him and being with him are gone. They all just took off. Not, not swerved from his purpose. He remained. All power, all authority, all ability to come down off of that cross. But he endured. This is available to you. Like, look at, look at the cross and look at the endurance of Christ. This is available to you. Imagine the endurance that it took for, for Christ Standing there, he'd just gotten through with the Lord's Supper. He'd just gotten through with praying with his disciples. And he's now in the garden. And what happens? Judas comes up to him. The man who had just spent three years walking with him, he comes up to him. Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen. He kisses him. And then Christ is arrested. The last moment he'd see any familiar face, any loving face, was that one. And he's betrayed with a, with a kiss. Dude, if you're like me, or you you like me in that situation, somebody that you know is, is delivering you into the hands of your enemy that's going to kill you, I would have wanted to hit him. In, endurance. Not swerved from his purpose. No matter the sufferings, no matter your ability to avoid suffering, endurance says that you will not swerve from your purpose. And I hope, I'm talking about purpose, I hope that God has given you a purpose. I hope that you know what your purpose is, why you're here, why you're taking breaths on this planet. If not, ask God for it, what it is. Or come talk to me, we'll talk about it. The next thing, patience. The result of being strengthened with power according to his glorious might. You have the endurance of Christ. You have the patience of Christ. Steadfastness, constant, constancy, slowness in avenging wrongs. That's a big phrase there, right? To have patience is to have a slowness in avenging wrongs. Man, let it be late at night and I'm tired and somebody jacks with me. I'm quick to yell. Especially my children when they're not going to bed right. Drives me crazy. I beg of God for patience in me. Imagine this picture, though. We're talking about Christ and endurance. Let's talk about Christ and patience. He's at the Lord's Supper, right? 
He's just said to them, I'm going to die. He's just said to them, somebody's going to betray me. Somebody here with us is going to betray me. And they saw, like you, Scripture talks about, they get really worried. Like his, his demeanor, his countenance just went down. His shoulders slumped. There's something going on with Christ. Imagine those 12 guys in a room and seeing their leader just really, really discouraged. Can you guys, have you guys ever been with someone in, in the room with somebody when you know that they're just deep discouraged and there's a heavy weight that they're carrying and how awful you feel for them and you just want to hug them, right? This is Christ here. Do you know what his disciples did immediately after that? Immediately after he kind of said, I'm going to die. One of you is going to betray me. The next thing that happened, you guys know what happened? They started arguing about which one's the greatest. Seriously? Like today, now everybody always says, really? You know, I'm sure that's what Christ was, wanted to think had he not been filled with patience. Really? I just laid my heart down on the table. I'm getting ready to die a gruesome death. I'm the son of God, and I'm about to die this gruesome death. And one of these guys that I've been pouring my life into is going to, is, is going to betray me. And you guys are worried about who's the best. Really? But that didn't deter Christ. It brought him patience. He did not want to, to right that wrong immediately. This is the result of being strengthened with power. The last thing is joy. You guys know what the Greek word joy means? It's another easy one. It means joy. To be strengthened with power according to his glorious might is to have joy. You guys know I, I hate the churchiness of the word joy. It's just this really excited, happy contentment. There's something today that made me very joyous. This rain made me very joyous. You know why it made me very joyous? Because my son was supposed to play a football game today, and it didn't happen, and it's been canceled and moved to Tuesday night. So I'm going to get to see my son play football, his very first game this year. Joy. I'm happy, excited about it. Not just that I get to see him play football, because I've seen him play football before, but because it just does my heart good to get to watch my son in his element, having fun. That's joy. And this is the joy that comes from connected to Christ. From understanding his glorious might. The last thing that he prays for us is, or that Paul prays for the Colossians, is that they would give thanks to the Father. It's very interesting. He doesn't give thanks to the Father. He prays that they would give thanks to the Father. He prays that they would connect with all that Jesus has done for them. He's, he's about to, to rip into them for not acknowledging Christ as the incomparable one, the only one. But here he prays that they would he prays that they would give thanks to the Father. The result, why he prays they would give thanks to the Father, the things that cause us to give thanks. First, he is qualified you to share in an inheritance. This is a good Greek word here. The Greek word qualified is hikanao, and it means to make sufficient or to render fit. Again, we've talked about something coming from outside of us. To make sufficient, to render fit. Qualified, we give thanks because Christ has qualified us. 
That's a, that's a big understanding. That Christ outside of us has done something to us to make us worthy, to make us qualified, to change who we are, to render us fit to accept this inheritance. He has changed who we are. We've been made sufficient by who he is to share in it. What is this inheritance? It's, it's a, an experience. It is a, a communion with God that is kept in heaven for us, that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. It is everything that our hearts have ever wanted in him that we will experience one day. We are qualified for this. And then the second thing that we want to give thanks to the Father for, and this is where I want to land and where we'll, we'll finish up this morning. Verses 13 and 14 here. Uh, just want to read those to you. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do a little bit of work and then we'll talk about what this means for us. Domain here is a nuanced Greek word that means jurisdiction or governmental authority. Right? Domain is, means jurisdiction or governmental authority. Right? The thing that rules us. The thing that rules us pre-Christ is darkness. In other words, you are ruled by a force that intends to do you harm. And it's not you are affected by or, or you have to be in the same room with. You are ruled, your domain, your home, the place where you live and operate and breathe and eat and sleep, your home, the governmental authority in your life intends to do you harm. Domain of darkness. But we've been delivered from that. Man, this just explodes into my mind. We've been delivered from what intends to do us harm to the kingdom of the beloved. So now we're not ruled by something that intends to do us harm. We're ruled by something that intends to love us, to give us what we need, what we're created for, our purpose. That's the kingdom of God. This kingdom of God, another kind of religious word, it means this, is you living, breathing, operating in the intended purpose with which you were called to live. And, and I need you to hear that, to experience that. This is what it means to be saved by Jesus Christ. You are living in the, the way in which you were intended to live, this kingdom of God, because of Christ and his sacrifice, because of this incomparable, over everything, Jesus Christ, that we intend to center our lives and minds and hearts around, has done this for you, delivered you from living and being ruled by what intends to do you harm, and changed you, transferred you from that place to this place, only affected governmental authority, aggressive living with the one who loves you and wants to give you what you need, wants to give you what you want, wants to provide for every need of yours. You've been transferred from that 
to this. This is Jesus. It's huge. And this idea of, of being delivered, there is no amount, this is something that I, for those outside of the church that I talk to consistently, this is the, the thing that I hear. I can't come to church yet because I've got to clean myself up. Do you realize that there is not one single person in all of Scripture who is celebrated for cleaning themselves up? You have no ability to clean yourself up. That's what this word delivered means. It happened to you. And it causes us to give thanks to God because it happened to us. There's no cleaning up that you have to do. Whether you are before Christ in your in your state of being right now, whether you're in the middle of Christ in your state of being, whether you've accepted him as your savior or not, there's no amount of cleaning up that is required of you. What's required of you? I believe you, Jesus. It's massive for us and how we live and operate in our lives, how you live on Tuesday morning, how you live the moment after you engaged in a sin that drives you crazy, that you know God is, cha- is, is calling you to forsake. You are delivered from the domain of darkness. Say that to yourself over and over and over again. Set your alarm to read to you every morning. You are delivered from the domain of darkness. That would have been an appropriate time for a woo. You are delivered from the domain of darkness. Thank you, David. Next time, make it louder. And you are not only delivered into a domain of darkness, but you have been transferred into the kingdom of the beloved. In other words, in Christ, you are. I want you to hear this. In Christ, you are qualified for an inheritance that is beyond your imagination. Rescued from evil and brought into love. <coughs> you are restored to your intended purpose. Verse 14 says, in him we have redemption. This word redemption is restoration for your intended purpose. You are restored to that. And again, it's happening to you. It's not something you decided to do. It's happening to you. Restored to your intended purpose. And then lastly, released from a death that you could not pay. Forgiveness of sins. And I don't want to gloss over that, this idea of forgiveness of sins. It's a debt that we could not pay. And not just a debt that we could not pay, a debt whose payment cost something great. I told the story when I talked about forgiveness a few weeks ago about a friend of mine who had his mother-in-law spill water on his computer, ruined a $1,500 computer by spilling water on it. And he really wanted to forgive her. He, he said it was okay, I, I forgive you. But he said, I don't really 
believe myself. We are talking after a basketball game one night, and <clears throat> I don't really believe myself because at the end of the day, I still don't have a computer. But I really want to forgive her. Do we understand? I think a lot of times we trifle with the forgiveness of God because we don't understand that it cost him everything. All this inheritance stuff that we've talked about, living with God, communing with God, fellowship with God, all that stuff existed for eternity past in Jesus and God. He sat at the right hand of God in heaven forever. He left there to come and walk and breathe and live in our world. (coughs) It cost him something. Great. It cost him something. So much so that he came here to have to endure our nonsense. And Peter's nonsense, and Judas's nonsense, and the Sanhedrin's nonsense, and the religious leader's nonsense, and endure the cross, the pain. This is Jesus forgiving you at great cost to himself. And for that, we give thanks. And for that, we rise up and we pursue him with all of our might, and we're changed by him. All of these things, the power to live a life worthy of our calling, the power to get near to God, the power to endure, the power to to do all of these things, to have endurance, to have patience, to have joy, to give thanks for who he is, the power resides in these things that are true of you because of Jesus. You are qualified for an inheritance beyond your imagination. You are rescued from evil, and brought into love. (coughs) You are restored to your intended purpose. You are released from a debt that you you could not pay because of Christ. We're going to sing a song in just a second, and the lyric in that song is, Your grace has found me just as I am. And as you sing that song, may it change your heart. May you see this broken and bloody Jesus. May you see this resurrected Jesus who's done all of this for you. It's yours. Take it. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we trust you. We love you. We give our lives to you. I give you now this time as we respond to you, Father. Draw us into your presence. Show us your son, Jesus, in a powerful and rich and meaningful way, God. Change us so that we can walk out this door filled with the knowledge and wisdom of God. Filled with the ability to walk in a manner worthy of you. Filled with your strength and power. Giving us endurance and patience and joy. Now draw us into your presence. Change us by your sacrifice. Change us by the redemption that you offer. Change us by your forgiveness. Change us because we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved. God, may we never get past that. In your son's powerful name, amen.